I'm affected and I haven't even started the sermon yet. (laughs) Hope you guys are ready to go. Good morning. My name is Pastor Jeremy. We are delighted to have you here to worship with us today. If it's your first time or 500th time or whatever, we're glad you're here. We know there's other things you could have done and it's cold, but we're so glad you're here to worship with us and the family of God. What we're doing in our church right now is we are going through the book of Galatians and we've only got two sermons left. Don't clap. Uh, It's good though. We've made it thus far and it's an incredible book and I want to thank you for all the positive feedback I've received in this series It is um, a delight to study the truth of the gospel as Paul lays it out in these six short chapters. It's a book that's historically led to Reformation and all kinds of amazing stuff. And I'm hopeful that it'll do that in your life and the life of our church as well. We uh, gave three basic points to remember the structure of this book. I'm just going to recap it for those who've been here and review it and get you who haven't up to speed real quick, but I gave a little, whatever you say, something that helps you remember it, device, Um, and it was three letters, and I said, the message of the Galatians is contained in these three letters. Do you happen to remember what that was? GPS, very good, and what did GPS stand for? What? Gospel? Promise? Spirit, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Gospel, promise, spirit. This is the basic movement of the message of Galatians. So there's a slide here on the screen. If you'd like to take notes, you're certainly welcome to. If your handwriting is as bad as mine, just go to the webpage and download it, and you'll have it all there. Um, GPS, gospel, promise, spirit. This is the book of Galatians, and in fact, this is the entire Christian life. This is your whole reason for your existence. This is the Christian worldview. This is everything summed up in one. It begins in him before the foundations of the earth with the gospel. Here is the foundation for everything we are, for who we are in Christ, for our meaning, our existence, our purpose, for our future, everything here, the gospel, foundation. From there, you can go ahead and show this slide if you want. That's chapters one and two. Uh, From there, the apostle says, okay, so now we move from the gospel foundation to the promise of your future inheritance. And what this does is it motivates us, right? This is the reward at the end. This is a carrot, you know, on the end of the stick. This is what gets us excited and keeps us going is the promise we have before us. So it goes gospel, promise, and then finally spirit. Okay, so here's how it began and here's how it ends. But in between there, where am I? What do I do? Well, you live by the spirit. You walk by the spirit. You're indwelled by the Spirit. And really, that's chapters 5 and 6, as you've seen those begin to play out. Paul begins his work with the gospel, the first couple chapters. And then he gives you the promise, the inheritance, the thing that we're excited about. And then he says, now this is how you live out your Christian life. So today, since we're in the last chapter, we're, of course, in section number 3. Exactly right, which is the Spirit. We are working on How to live by the Spirit. So the movement of this book, said in another way, goes like this. Here's a slide. What God did to what we do. This is how this book goes. From what God did to what we do. Now we are in section 3. Here's a picture of that. Galatians chapters 5 through 6. The first section was basically 
chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. That was the hinge. And I used the mutiny on the bounty as an illustration and talked about the ship being captained by the master and said that you need to be captain or led or driven by the Holy Spirit. In other words, driven by the wind, just like a sailing vessel. You should have a master. You should be driven. And that master should be the spirit. And that driving force should be the panuma, the Holy Spirit, the wind in your sails. So the first section was your master. The second one, which uh, Pastor David did last week, was about the fruit of the Spirit. So it said, okay, once the Spirit is your master, what does that look like? What does that look like? Well, there's a picture of what it doesn't look like. That's the works of the flesh. And here's a picture of what it does look like. That's the fruit of the Spirit. So there's a contrast. You know, you're like, okay, so I want to make the Spirit my master. What's it look like? Here's one way not to do it. Here is what you should be after. And then today we come to chapter 6. So we've been told, let the Spirit be your master. This is what it should look like. And now you're asking the question, well, how do I get there? What do I do? He said, Spirit master, this is what it should look like. How do I do it? Galatians chapter 6. This section tells you how to take the baby steps to move forward in your Christian life. So if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. We'll also put it up on the screen. Uh, we have blue Bibles in the back. If you don't have a Bible, you can use it. If you don't have any Bible at all, you can keep it. We are in Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 10. <clears throat> Before we read it, I want to just give you the basic breakdown of uh, this section. And this is how it works. This is how we're going to outline things for today in today's sermon. We're going to say there's four parts of this. And these aren't super rhymy. I tried to come up with some rhymes like care, share, despair. I don't know. I was stumbling all over the place. But if you think of something better, please send me an email. Let me know. Maybe you can come up with something. But here, here is how it breaks down. Verses 1 through 2 are basically saying help the weak. Help the weak. Verse, verses 3 through 5 says now before you go about doing that test, make sure you're in a good spot to do so. Test yourself. And then, kind of an inclusio or a front-end and back-end sort of way, 6 and 10 are just saying, do good. Do good. And then the last section, verses 7 through 9, are like, don't give up. Look, there will be a harvest. It'll be okay. Don't worry. I promise. In the end, there will be a harvest. So with that in mind, this is how to walk by the Spirit. Let's look at the first verse of the sixth chapter of the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, moving through the spirit section, gospel promise spirit, here is how to walk by your master, the spirit. Verse 1, it says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. 
Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Galatians chapter 6. How to walk by the Spirit. The first verse says this, basically. If anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. This is where I'm taking the idea of help the weak. Basically, it says those of you who are spiritual should restore. Now, I'm preaching along in this sermon, but I want to stop right there because the automatic assumption is, is this stage is higher and this floor is lower, therefore I'm more spiritual. (laughs) That's not true. (laughs) Spiritual here in the context of Galatians is not referring to the pastor or the clergy or the elders or the super Christians. It's referring to all of us. And the reason for that is if you go back to chapters 1 through 2 and you say, who are the spiritual? Well, it's those who are indwelt by the Spirit. Who is indwelt by the Spirit? Those whom He has called. Those whom He has predestined. Those whom He's justified. Those whom He's sanctified. Those whom He's glorified. Who's indwelt by the Spirit? Believers in Jesus. If you have Jesus, you have the Spirit. That makes you spiritual. Therefore, you are spiritual. Now, no doubt there is a degree of maturity in the Christian faith, and no one misses that. And the more mature, the better. But at the end of the day, you have the Holy Spirit of God, the most powerful force in the entire universe, living inside of you. Amen? You have the Spirit. You're spiritual. So get up and do something with it. Help the weak. Yes, there are, in fact, people who are weaker than you. We're all weak in our own ways. Each of us have weaknesses. But mine may be different from yours, and I could use some of your help. So help me out a little bit. I can't do everything. Neither can you. Those who are spiritual, those who have the Spirit, help. Help. Now look, it also gives us some additional information on that. Verses 22 through 23 of chapter 5, just right before it, in the context, says this. The fruit of the Spirit is what? So if you really want to be spiritual, what do you do? Well, this is it right here. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing, there's no law. So if you have the Spirit of God living inside of you and you're ev- evidencing this fruit in your life, His work, man, you're ready. You're there. Help. Help the weak. You who are spiritual, not just the pastors, not just the shepherds, not just the elders, the deacons, the whoever. You, everybody, help someone else. You who are spiritual, help. Now, the next word, I'm just preaching expositionally and exegetically like we like to do here from the text. The next word, it says, if anyone is caught in a transgression... In the original language, you don't have to know this, but this is just more bang for your buck coming on Sunday morning. In the original language, what happens is this. The word caught um, 
carries with it the imagery of fishing. And transgression is that of a misstep. So what you do is you put those two things together and you imagine a fishing boat captain or a fisherman on his ship. And all of a sudden, you know, he's got all these things of, you know, coils of rope and nets and stuff like this. And he's getting a little excited and the wind's kicking up and the fish are biting, but he can't get to the right spot and he's hurrying, not really paying attention. All of a sudden, whoop, overboard he goes because he stepped in one of the lines and all of a sudden it got caught and boom, he's pulled off and he's dangling on the side. And what's going to happen? He's either going to flop up against the boat and drown or somebody's going to grab that rope and pull him back in and cut it off and free him. You who are spiritual, you who are strong, need to help someone who is caught in a transgression, who has been tangled unintentionally and had a misstep. The idea here is not necessarily someone who's like, ha, 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 I'm going to do this. I'm going to get away with it. It's not willful, intentional, direct disobedience to God. He would have used a different word. The spirit is smarter than that. He used transgression, which means misstep. He used caught which gives the idea of being overtaken or surprised. This is the unwillful victim caught accidentally. They're trying to do a good job, and all of a sudden they mess up. If it's someone who's in willful sin or persistence or rebellion against God, you might take quite a different tact. You know, Jesus is like, brood of vipers. <laughs> you know, Satan, get behind me. He's very direct. But in this instance, the thing he's referring to is someone who is like, oh, man. I was caught. I was taken. Like when you're running a race and you're cruising along and you're going pretty well. And all of a sudden, transgression. What is it? Misstep. Transgression is falling over the side. It's a false step. And so if you're in a race, if you're not a ship captain, if you're in a race and someone is chasing after you and they overtake you, that means they're faster than you. They're stronger than you. And they pull you down. That's the image that's given here. And by the way, this is why you've got to flee from sin. Run fast because sin is faster. It's stronger. It's more powerful than you. Don't think you can stand up against it. You need to flee from every even appearance of evil. Because sin is powerful and it's strong. The moment we think we can stand up to it, we've made our first misstep. Get out. Move. Abstinence is much easier than moderation. Run. Get away. That's how you treat sin. You don't hang around and see if it'll catch you. No way. Get out. So you who are spiritual, you who have the Spirit, you who demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, you who are called and justified and sanctified and glorified, restore anyone who is caught in a spirit of gentleness. It's interesting when you talk about restoration here because often when we think of gentleness, we think non-confrontational, right? I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. I might bother them, you know. I don't want to say anything. They could get mad at me. But if you're worried about how they're going to react or whether they're going to be mad at you, what are you worried about? Yourself. How's this going to come back at me? What implications might this have? What bridges might this burn? That's only worried about you. That's not in seeking someone else's best interest. In fact, Philippians 2, verses 3 through 8, 
give a pretty good definition of gentleness. And this is what it says. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. If that fisherman is dangling over the side of the boat and you're like, man, I don't want to get my hands dirty. If I pull on this rope, it might burn a little bit. What if it slips through my hands? That's going to hurt. He's drowning. You've got to grab that booger and pull it up and cut the rope. It might require some cutting, right? You might have to use a pretty sharp axe. That line is going to be taut, and that storm is going to be kicking up, and you've got to pull him out before he drowns. What are you going to do? Whack it. But be careful. He wants to keep those legs. Don't whack off his legs in the process and all your zeal. That's what it's saying with the idea of gentleness here is, yes, it's okay to rebuke, but you need to be really careful about how you do it. Pull him up, get him out, burn your hands. It's in his best interest. Go for it. But once you do, man, aim. <laughs> Look careful. Be precise because he wants to keep that leg. It's going to cut. And so use the precision of a surgeon in this process. People are complicated. You have no idea what you're getting into. You think their physical bodies are complicated. Try jumping into their relationships and psychology and yada, yada. That's where it really gets messy. Surgery has blood squirting everywhere. You just cover that up, clean it up, and you're done. Relationships go the rest of your life. Be careful. He wants to keep the leg. So yes, rebuke, but in a spirit of gentleness. What is in his best interest? Cut carefully. That's how you restore someone caught in sin. You still need to cut, but cut carefully. Brothers, if anyone is caught, listen to that, if anyone is caught in a transgression or misstep, you who are spiritual and dwelt by the Spirit should restore in a spirit of gentleness, but keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Are you tracking with me so far? Everybody still here? Okay. Here we transition now from the... Well, the, one, another way to help the weak is to bear their load. A would be to restore them and B is to bear their load. Bear their load in verse 2. A, restore. B, bear their load. Bearing their load is kind of interesting. This is what it looks like in our life. Uh, We have three children, nine, seven, and three. And our three-year-old, well, the other kids are cute too, but she's really cute now. Uh, She's really cute because she's three. All little, little toddler boogie bottoms are cute, right? So... Here she goes running down the street. What ends up happening almost inevitably since her legs are like this long is she's excited. And she's like, let's go on a walk. And boom, she's out the door. And you're like, boom, here we go. Because she's already halfway past the neighbor's house, you know, two and a half houses down. And so she's on her little purple trike and she's pedaling like this and her feet are going really fast. And she, she thinks she's going as far as she wants and coming back. And we make it about halfway around the block and all of a sudden, Uppy. <laughs> like, oh, great. Here we are a ways away, and now i got to cover that distance on the way back with baby in one hand, trike in the other, 
coat and gloves and hat and helmet and everything hanging off my back. And now who's the toddler, right? I'm toddling around going blah, blah, blah. Can hardly do it. Why? Because she's weak. And I'm physically stronger. And consequently, when we go for a walk, we go out on a journey, it's my job to help. Because the strong help the weak. I carry her load. I carry her burden. She thinks she can carry it for a little while, and she does pretty good, and she's really excited, and I want her to have that opportunity. But at some point, I know she's going to wear out, and I'm going to be carrying the rest of this stuff home. That's the way it goes. So, too, in our Christian walk. We know that there are people alongside of us that may not be able to carry their load. At some point, we're going to have to help. And so we want to give them the opportunity to do as much as they can, and we try our best, but at some point we've got to be ready to pick it up and say, okay, I got it. I got it from here. And then when you regain your strength, I'll give it back to you. <laughs> you can get back on your trike after a little bit and start pedaling again because I'm tired now. That's the way it works. You bear one another's load. Now, look, I'm using a metaphor, but let me be a little bit more specific. Load can be so many different things, right? One easy one is financial, right? I mean, somebody runs into hard times, they need a loan, they lose their job, they're getting through school, whatever. There's financial load. Some of us can help with that. Some of us can't. There's an opportunity. Not only is there financial burdens, but there's physical burdens. Someone just had surgery. They can't shovel their snow. They can't rake their leaves. They can't whatever. Maybe you're physically able. Maybe you can't. Maybe your physical body doesn't work. What about relationally? Don't you think there are relational loads that people carry as well? Even if you're not physically able, even if you're not financially able, perhaps you are relationally able. You're in a spot where you can come alongside someone and encourage them. You can at least listen if you have two ears. Perhaps at least one of them works. Listen. Come alongside someone and help. There is financial, there's physical, there's relational, there's emotional. Now, those are very complex, and, uh, you know, that may not be my area of expertise. <laughs> I've spoken to some other guys, and they jokingly say, I don't exactly know how to deal with my emotion, like my one emotion <laughs> that I have, <laughs> the one single emotion I occasionally feel. <laughs> you know, depending on your bandwidth in each of these areas, you probably can help. Maybe it's not emotional. Maybe it is emotional. Maybe you've got great emotional bandwidth. Help someone who's struggling in anger, in fear, in frustration, in anxiety, in loneliness. All sorts of battles and loads that people are fighting. They can't carry themselves. You can help. Help. Carry someone's load. This is basically the idea of bearing one another's burdens is saying, hey, if it dropped, I'll get it. I got it. No problem. I'll pick that up. You're reaching for the fallen object. But this time it is not a fallen object, but a fallen person. Help. Bear one another's burdens. In Christianity, we call this carrying our cross. The funny thing about it is, is we often say our cross. But have you ever thought about it? Did Jesus carry his cross? Did Jesus carry his cross? I only see one head shaken. Jesus didn't carry his cross. He carried my cross. He carried your cross. He didn't carry his cross. What does he need a cross for? He's perfect. He didn't carry his cross. He carried yours. 
And now, as a cross follower, you don't carry your cross, you carry somebody else's. There's no such thing as carrying your own cross. Jesus already carried yours, your burden, your debt, your sin, your transgressions on him. You get to help with somebody else. You can't carry your cross. Jesus carried it. If you believe in him, he took it from you and did it. You help somebody else with theirs. That's bearing their load. Bear their load. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of the cross carrier, Christ. Amen? Verse 4. Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted, but each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Number two, test yourself. Test yourself. I just spent the bulk of my sermon time on the first part. I'm going to go through these next few pretty quick. But this is a very, very important one that basically precedes the other. The apostle puts it in this order, first helping one another. But before you try, you need to test yourself. Why? Because that sin will catch you. It's fast. It's quick. Let me ask you this question. Who is the easiest person in the world to dupe or to fool? Who is the easiest person in the world to fool? Yourself. That's exactly right. I'm the easiest person in the world for me to fool. I can construct the narrative. I can arrange the pieces of the puzzle. I can make things line up however I want them to. Oh, this did this. That must mean this. Okay, well then, they are like this. Boom, here's my picture. Are you sure? Are you sure you've got the pieces of the puzzle arranged properly? Why don't you ask somebody else if they see it the same way? They might see things differently. You need to test that. No scientist gets automatic approval in a patent by just saying, this is what I think. It has to go through a strenuous and long process of external, independent evaluators to make sure that it's for real. So, too, with you. Test it. Test it. Let each person test themselves. Now, let me point out something very quick, um, and you probably know this by experience, but I just want to remind you. If you submit yourself to testing, the fire is hot. <laughs> you know, the fire is really hot. The fire of refinement is hot. When you want to burn the dross off your soul and be put in the position to be sanctified and grow in Jesus, it will not be easy. It will be hot. And things are going to boil to the surface that you don't exactly like. You don't want to see and you didn't know it was even there until you were put in this cauldron and it was heated to boiling and all of a sudden stuff came up. Welcome to marriages. Welcome to parenting. Welcome to life. Fire is hot. The fire is hot. The way to deal with it is not to say, oh, that's hot, time to walk away. But instead, be a little bit more like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, yeah, that's hot, but that's where we're going. Right? 
It's what God called us to do, so I think we're going to walk through it. And I'm not sure if he's going to kill me, or I'm not sure if he's going to deliver me. One way or another, I don't know, but I'm going through it. So here we go. Let's walk. That's hot. And you start walking right at that furnace, and all of a sudden you notice people are dropping left and right around you. <laughs> like, Whoa, the guards just died. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> wonder how this is going to go for me. And you keep going. You take another step, and you take another step, and you don't know. Maybe you will be a martyr. Maybe the fire will be there to kill you, and you'll glorify God through this battle. Or maybe he'll deliver you from it. Or maybe he'll sanctify you through it. I don't know. But either way, I know this, the fire is hot. So you pray for this, and you pray carefully, though, because you pray knowing that the fire is hot. Test yourself. Help the weak, test yourself, and do good. Verse 6 says this, Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And then verse 10 says, so there's a sharing aspect, and then verse 10 says this, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. In this doing good section, basically what you have is, is sort of a twofold thing. There's the material aspect, and then there is an immaterial aspect as well. There is the financing of the fruit of the Spirit and the gospel. Paul's not concerned about his paycheck or his retirement, but he wants the gospel to go forward. So he's like, in order for the gospel to go forward most effectively, we need to dedicate people to this work who can specialize it and proclaim it. And you need to pay them and pay them well. That's what it says. But then he goes down to verse 10 and he says, and by the way, I'm very happy with this church, just so you know. I just have to say it because it's there, but I'm good. Don't worry. You guys are awesome. So verse 10 says this, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. That's one part but especially those who are of the household of faith. That's the other part. So you have a neat opportunity to engage in that a little bit this morning. You saw some folks get up and go over there. This is our Go Local section. This is our local missions thing. If you weren't here for the announcement, afterwards you're going to have the opportunity to engage in some of the community aspects of Midland Free is doing to do good to all people. We have a responsibility as people who have received good to share good, to do good. And that good can include a lot of things. Yes, financial, but also all those things I mentioned earlier. It can be relational, it can be emotional, it can be service, it can be whatever. But here are opportunities all throughout this room for you to do good. Do good to everyone, that's to go local, but then it says especially to the household of faith. In other words, it's a concentric circle thing that moves out. This is why Jesus said in very clear way, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What happens is this, is basically here's the root and the shoot and the tree and the branch and what you want is it to bear fruit. But the way to do so is to nourish the root and build the the branch and let it go forth. So you pour in to the people in your closest circles the most as much as you can. This is the idea. It says, especially the household of faith. You see this in Midland Free, by the way we administer our benevolence policy. We are thankful for the money you give, and we want to bless people with it. And so one of the ways we do so is by saying, 
we, we intentionally, preferentially administer these funds to members and regular attenders. Because we're especially trying to be good to the people of the household of faith. And obviously, the church has limited funds, and we want to be careful with them and use them wisely. We're not an ATM machine, and this is not you know, a lottery or anything else. This is a church, and you work hard and you give, and we respect that. And we want to honor that. And so we are looking for pinpoint strategic opportunities to bless people and get them on their way, especially the household of faith. That's the way we roll. Wrapping up quickly then so you'll have opportunity to hear the rest of the stuff for today. Final section is let us not grow weary. Verse, verse 9. Let us not grow weary in doing good. So you've had help the weak. Test yourself. Do good. Now let us not grow weary. This one I would rephrase it if you want in a positive way to say there is an inheritance. There is an inheritance. There is a harvest. This is winter right now. Some people think of it as deer season. Farmers think of it as harvest season. And what's happening is this, is all the hard work they put in several months ago is being pulled out of the ground and now put in the barn. And that's the rhythm or life cycle that they live by. They say, yep, we're going to plant and sow and till and eventually we're going to reap. And we trust by faith that this is going to happen. In the fall, I'm going to harvest. And that's when I'll be able to pay for the rest of the year. That's how it works. Well, the Christian life, sometimes it's a bit of a struggle, isn't it? Because you don't have the annual cycle. Hey, if I go to church 50 times this week, which is prob- or 50 times this year, which is probably pretty good for most people. If I go to church 50 times this year, at the end of the year, the Lord is going to blah. Not necessarily, right? Instead, what happens is this. Our season is an entire lifetime. Our season is not one annual cycle, but it's a lifetime. And our harvest is in eternity. And so we sow and we plant and we never give up. And we have to have the faith that goes even beyond that of a farmer to say, I will reap a reward. I will harvest. And I'm going to plant and I'm going to plant and I'm going to sow and I'm going to work. But at the end of the day, my inheritance, my eternal harvest is in God. And I get that, not here and now, but then and there. There will be a harvest. And we have to believe that, otherwise we lose hope and we lose motivation for living the Christian life. Galatians chapter 3 says, God gives it to you by promise, just like Abraham. So that by promise, by faith in Christ, we might be given an eternal inheritance, Ephesians chapter 1. We get glimpses of it along the way. There's stuff like this. You have Christmas. You have Good Friday. You have Easter. You have Sundays which celebrate those events, the incarnation, atonement, death, and resurrection. You have the Lord's Supper. You have baptisms. You have baby dedications. You have ordinations, commissionings, God's provisions, spiritual breakthroughs all along the way, moments of rest, pause, and reflection. All of these things are little snippets of what will be. But at the end, we believe by grace through faith that there will be a full inheritance when all of that comes into complete focus and we receive what God has promised, an eternal inheritance in Him.
because there is a harvest, because God's promises are true, because of his faithful character, we can live by the Spirit. We can help the weak. We can not grow weary in doing good. And we can look forward with great joy and hope to the harvest. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap. Father, you're a good and gracious God. We praise you for the wonderful, beautiful, majestic truth of your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that inspired and gives it to us. Lord, may it do its work. May it be planted firmly in our souls to reach deep in our hearts, to transform our persons, change our beings, and change our world. God, make us who you want us to be. May your word be true and everyone else a liar. But Lord, we know at the end of the day, we win. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your son. On him we rely. Amen.